Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In this month's UK Roundtable, we focus on the seismic developments in the property sector, both commercial and residential, looking at the drivers behind the rising house prices and the future of commercial real estate, as many shift from the office to working from home. With Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, John Ainsworth, Barclays Corporate Head of Real Estate, James Pito, Barclays Mortgages Team Leader, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello, welcome to Word on the Street. And this month we're having a UK roundtable specifically we're going to focus on the property sector, both commercial and residential. Where, what and how are the key questions circling this vital part of our daily lives, particularly in the context of a pandemic that's changed much already? But I think we're all anticipating that some of these changes are likely to stick. But to actually answer those thorny questions, we've assembled a panel of our in-house experts as usual. So, Today, I have Will Hobbs, our CIO, and he's quite familiar to most of our listeners. So hi, Will. Hello, Nikki. Hello, everybody. Brilliant. And I'm particularly pleased that we're joined by James Pito, our mortgages team leader, and our head of real estate from our business bank, John Ainsworth. Hi, James. Hi, John. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Hi, everybody. So let's start off by getting a bit of context, Will. What's going on? What's the latest on the UK economy? Yeah, so there's a bit gloomier recently. So incoming data has been consistent with the economy running into the sand a little bit over the summer, actually. There are lots of things to take into consideration. Uh, You know, supply chains are still choking a bit globally, uh, and that is making for a somewhat kind of asthmatic production story. Uh, It's also that sort of same story as part of the uh, part of the sort of thing that people are talking about with regards to kind of toppy inflation data as well. Um, And you put that together with a couple of weak prints on retail sales and you have some commentators wondering about, you know, the dreaded stagflation, uh, you know, stagnant growth combined with soaring prices. Now, some members of the Bank of England, some Bank of England members have responded, we saw the minutes this week, by hinting at the potential for an earlier rate rise and or QE curtailment than sort of had only been recently argued. For me and for us, you know, for most commentators, I think the big unknown remains kind of what happens to the labour market in the fourth quarter, i.e. when furlough really ends. There's still substantial slack in the labour market, i.e. people on the sidelines. There's about 5% of the workforce still on furlough, last I looked, you know, around a million workers. So that, that suggests, to me anyway, that we should still treat incoming inflation data quite carefully. It may tell us less about what is to come than, than some people are arguing. I mean, as an aside, the big story at the moment really is China. And that's really where everyone's looking at. It's not for today's podcast, but, you know, although it is property related, I'll actually, uh, for those interested, I'll publish something on LinkedIn separately a bit later today, hopefully. So lo- lots to chew on with that. But let's let's focus on property and get into that. I mean, obviously, there's an awful lot to talk about. So quite hard to know where to start. But I think Let's start with residential. There have been some quite jaw-dropping developments in in residential property since the start of the pandemic. I guess one of the most common fears that we hear about with regards to house prices is the potential for a bubble. John, can you perhaps allay some of those fears or what are you seeing? 
Yeah, thanks, Nikki. Uh, I guess, as you say, the housing market is one of the sectors that's flourished under the pandemic. The latest HPI index showing year-on-year growth of 7.1%. However, as you allude, concerns have been the impact of the stamp duty concessions being removed and also the impact at the end of the furlough scheme, as we'll, we'll talk about. I think for me, sort of these concerns seem to be tempering with the, I guess, the low interest rate environment. So debt is is, is the cheapest it's been for, for, for pretty much as long as we can remember. Residential properties still deliver decent returns and, and there's a demand for from tenants. We've seen the latest RICS data indicated that demand has risen for the for five consecutive quarters, which is quite staggering. I think that links into the lack of stock on the market. So Later stats I saw showed that there's a 25% reduction in stock on the market for, from from last year, and, and that's also complemented by a 20% increase in people wanting to buy properties. So, so I think there's a there's a there's still that sort of supply demand issue that, that that I think will hold things good. And then if you look at the the level of job vacancies indicated, I mean, to to Will's point around the end of furlough, there is there is significant job opportunities to be taken. So I think the if you look at the the then the sort of projected forward view from the majority of the industry commentators, we still see suggestions that capital values could still rise twenty percent over the next five years, and included a complementary rise in in rental values. We're talking about circa seventeen percent, and I guess in terms of what we're seeing from from our client base, we're still seeing record demand for debt to support their portfolio growth and aspirations for the future. I guess the one word of caution for me would be being aware of the variance nationally and also that change in buyer behaviour, which I'm sure we'll come on to. So I was just going to add a couple of bits, I think, John, from what we're seeing in, within the uh, within the residential market as well. So I think you're absolutely right. From, from our perspective, supply and demand is, is one of the key drivers at the moment, which is causing, I guess, the biggest pinch point for many of our clients. We've got many clients at the moment that are looking to, to continue to purchase property, but there just isn't the stock available. So that that's kind of backing up. I think the other other couple of things that I would add, just I've joined a couple of recent events with some of our largest estate agents and the couple of couple of key things that I've picked out from from kind of their commentary, they remain pretty bullish around the market and, and they foresee a kind of onward trajectory in terms of property prices. And they shared that they believe that's going to be down to the fact that with international travel opening up and access back into the UK, we will see a return of foreign investors coming through. And if I think about the last 18 months, certainly from our side, we've seen a real reduction in that. But what that tends to do is drive the top end of the market where, particularly in prime London, the international client base look to buy property for long-term returns. I think the other thing that we'll see play out um, certainly with the, the latest inflation data is the impact that may have on affordability. So if we think about the first-time buyer market and how that drives the overall property market, we foresee that it's likely that they'll they'll find it slightly more difficult perhaps over the, the short to midterm in terms of the actual borrowing power they can generate. So it may mean that that has an impact potentially on prices, but it will be interesting to see how that plays out. So I think over the next, over, certainly over the next 12 months, we expect that, that the demand will stay high, supply will still continue to be a real challenge. But with that kind of foreign investment coming back into that market, that will continue to help build some momentum going forward. And so to what extent are some of the moves that we've seen in out of town locations sustainable? I mean, I guess the question on most people's lips are, 
have cities had their day or or at the very least have we seen peak urbanization levels james what are your thoughts here i think it's, it's it's a really interesting question and one that's kind of top of clients minds at the moment i think a couple of factors have played out particularly over the last 12 to 18 months in terms of clients ambitions we know that from the, from the data that we see there's kind of three things that have been top of of, of kind of clients minds in terms of looking at property and, and where to purchase so with lockdown and restrictions, that's driven the need for more uh, land and more space and a bigger garden, perhaps. But the other factors included, one of the top factors was having really, uh, really strong Wi-Fi. So you have the ability to work from home. But when we look at that across uh, across the regionalised or across the geographic spread of the UK, we've seen really strong demand for property in the southwest uh, as clients look to relocate. But we think that probably is a bit of a moment in time as a lockdown restrictions ease and clients look to, to move back into office space to go back to work. So just to round off, I think that we will continue to see strong demand as clients still look to buy property with space and land. But perhaps there'll be a slight uh, rebalance in terms of clients thought processes as we open up a little bit more and uh, the ability to work back in the office. I think the other thing that I would add is for many clients, particularly through lockdown, um, we've seen that they've looked to purchase second property. And that's been a real driver in terms of some of the the regionalized growth that we've seen. We anticipate that will continue as perhaps the new norm is to spend more time in the UK than perhaps uh, traveling abroad. And of course, having a second property enables clients to, to really enjoy that time uh, within the UK. I guess I'd agree with the the change in buyer behaviour has obviously been a material impact. And I think the, the points that James has made around those, I guess, necessities of today around green space, around larger gardens, around Wi-Fi, uh, I've driven people to look for different locations. Uh, and I think probably a bit of an overlay is also, you know, with with facts like not taking foreign holidays, people have got more disposable income and therefore being able to, I guess, secure what will be called, I guess, their for, forever home. I think the other thing to, to sort of um, pick up on is also that, you know, in terms of the demand outstripping um, supply, um, we've also got to remember that we need to build significantly more properties. So I think some of the latest stats I saw showed that we need to build around 340,000 new homes per year to meet the the needs of the population. And the last stats in terms of annual production was 120,000, and that was down from the previous year. So I think that disconnect between demand is going to mean that what, whatever location there will be a demand for for property, but we we will fit, I think we will see people being more discerning in terms of where they want to be. But there will be a price point where all properties are still going to be needed. I think the other thing in terms of the I guess the return to office and and many of us are returning to office now or uh, returning to office under a hybrid arrangement. I think as people get back into that pattern it'll be interesting to see where people have taken moves out of the cities as to how they then work on that going forward so will people buy apartments in cities when they've moved further away will they look to stay in town for a couple of days a week or would they look to rent smaller properties in the cities so i think there's quite a lot to be worked through just as people get into the new pattern after the end of the pandemic just uh, Nikki, sorry, jumping in again. Sorry, I'm not giving you a chance to speak. But uh, just something both the guys said, actually, I thought, or two things the guys said. You know, I grew up in the country in the middle of nowhere, and I'm afraid I've sold out. I'm now a Londoner. I would consider myself a Londoner. So you should probably take my comments with a pinch of salt. But 
trends towards urbanization. You know, we hear a lot of people talking about, you know, the end of cities and sort of, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, but you know, the reality that we've got to sort of hold on to, I think, or use as context is, you know, as the guys are suggesting, trends towards urbanization really are thousands of years old. These trends have survived the sack of Rome through various plagues, world wars, and so on. They may have to do a bit of a reinvention, no doubt, but I, I really do think they will remain important. And actually, John alluded to this with the offices, for the same reasons in some part as offices, really. And I'm going to be boring again because it's about productivity, but we always talk about this. But one part of the productivity story, this all-important productivity story, is the kind of genius of invention. Um, but the other part is really about incorporating and maximizing the benefits from new technology, the kind of learning by doing, experimenting. Now, key to this is the idea of something called knowledge spillover. And this is why offices will be hard to beat. It's us. When we get together uh, and mix, share ideas, magic occasionally happens beyond the talk about what happened in the football at the weekend, which is also important. And out of that kind of better processes and adaptions, adaptations emerge. And this is why, you know, this has proved, you know, I think very difficult to replicate digitally. And that's why you're seeing, you know, in terms of productivity statistics, when sort of how hard this is to measure, that people are saying, yes, you know, we're more productive working from home than we were right at the start of the crisis, but relative to office work, you're still somewhere below. And a large part of that must be that kind of missing elixir of what's called knowledge spillover. Sorry, that's just my boring economics take. Oh, very well put. And of course, you've mentioned looking back to the past and urbanisation being a trend that comes over thousands of years. But I guess looking just slightly, <laughs> slightly more towards the future, but, but perhaps over the longer term, because of course, the past few decades, we've seen UK residential property being an exceptional asset and in the context of, of wider history as well. So I guess part of what people want to think about is, is that going to become the norm? Is is that now the new trend? Uh, yes. I mean, I should sort of preface my comments here with the sort of comment that the statement that academia is not of one mind about this kind of cyclical drivers of property prices and there's lots of debate there's handbags as usual I mean there's handbags over everything in academia <laughs> as you know but I think I'm probably oversimplifying and luckily we've got two real experts on the call to talk us through it but if you look at the sort of long history across multiple countries it tends to show house prices growing in a roughly inflation-like price growth across like I say multiple ge geographies so you know what we would tend to say over time in terms of the norm is that housing has proved to be a good store of value over time rather than automatic route to inflation-adjusted riches. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to invite John and James. Have you got handbags ready? Yeah, no, I think I think Will hits the mark, to be fair. I think what we've seen certainly over the last 18 months is, is factors that have played in to really drive some of that property growth, whether that be the stamp duty reduction, the supply and demand issue, the lack of international investment has made it a really competitive market. And if I think about the distribution from, from our space, for every one seller, there's been sort of three buyers. To me, that's driving prices. Do we believe that it will continue or fall in line with inflation as Will describes? I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But just going back to some of those earlier points, we know at the moment that, that stock is sparse and, and the demand is out there and we're seeing that coming through in terms of client appetite on a daily basis. I think the other dynamic is, of, of course, that mortgage pricing remains uh, almost record low. So from a Barclays perspective, we've got a an entry point of 0 0.85, which is pretty incredible. So I think it's a great time if you're a borrower, if you're thinking about 
purchasing property. Uh, but equally, I, I would go to go back to what Will was saying around ensuring that you've really got kind of almost diversification within the way in which you look at your overall position and, and it's not too too heavy in one side. So I think in summary, from, from our end, property will continue to be really topical. I think the, the supply issue will play out and it will be interesting to see what the market does in, in 2022. I suppose just picking up on James's point around, I guess, interest rates. So thinking about it more from an investor angle, I mean, if you look at, I think, 30-year swap rates are, are sub 100 basis points at the moment. So if you think about it from a, an investor argument, you're not going to get good returns on your cash in terms of um, obviously bank interest rates. So people are exploring other places to invest. So property would be uh, seem to be one of those. If you can generally achieve yields of, of 5% upwards, that would would seem to be you know reasonable argument so i think that will also retain that dynamic i think the the one word of caution is that that's assuming all things remain the same so i think it's pretty likely we're going to have a continued surplus of um, demand over supply but you know we've experienced things that we never thought we would see under the pandemic even you know over the last week in terms of the gas crisis there's so much things that can change very, very quickly that we, we've never expected that there's always something that could happen contrary to that, I suppose. Okay, so so I think we've covered the residential side of property, but of course, we have the commercial side as well. And as we as we think about the future, the importance of offices, and Will obviously made quite a strong case there, but it's, I guess, a pretty easy bet to assume that the crisis has changed how we think about commercial real estate, office space, at the very least, might need to be repurposed. The way people use office space, no doubt, will change. And I guess the fact that greater portions of society have got used to online purchasing, perhaps that will continue to stick. So that surely all of that might impact on the commercial property sector. So, John, what, what are your thoughts with that? I guess, I, you know, I'd agree, Nikki. I mean, if you the commercial market has been very varied in terms of performance. Um, you've seen a very, very extreme in terms of logistics, warehousing, industrials perform very strongly. Offices obviously have had issues in terms of tenants not being in there. And then we'd already seen some deterioration in terms of the retail market off the back of, as you say, online spending before we came came into the pandemic. And then obviously the hospitality and leisure industry generally hit sort of by the pandemic effects. So I think my, my sort of taking each of them in part, if you go into the cities, you continue to see build out of offices and an industry commentary suggests that there remains decent demand for customers to do to take those on board. And I think Will's comments around, you know, we are more pr- productive when we're working together. Will it be every day of the week? For some of us, probably not. It will be that sort of hybrid play, but the offices will definitely still be in demand. I guess thinking about it, though, I guess employees and employers may be more discerning in where they choose to operate. So I think we we always want better quality now. So would it mean that some locations and types of be- buildings become less desired? I think that's possibly the case. It also probably ties into the impact on retail premises, greater online shopping, as you, as you alluded to, which has been significantly increased, of, obviously, during the pandemic. And I guess where you get those locations impacted by both that fall in footfall, therefore reductions also potentially in use of hospitality and le- leisure businesses. 
that there will be, you know, potentially a need to look at whether that space is still needed in the way it is today. So it's probably there's elements of our of our footprint, building footprint that probably needs to will probably need to be repurposed as as we you know move out of the pandemic and we settle into a, a new norm. And then on the opposite side of that equation, in the same way as the residential properties have really flourished under under the the pandemic in the same way industrial has so if you look at industrial and, and that's really driven through warehousing and logistics over the last 12 months we've seen a 21.6 percent rise in the values of industrial buildings so i mean that's just um, unbelievable in terms of the impact that's had and we all see you know the large sheds go, going up around you know where the, those travel corridors make it make it work and i think even the future forecasts show at least in the short term that will continue and john when when you think about the shifts that are that are happening obviously one of the areas that i mean we've certainly focused on in in the podcast in recent weeks and months is around sustainability and esg more widely governance the the economic impact as well as sustainability and, and societal impacts. What are you seeing in this space? Is that driving some of the change that you're anticipating? Yeah, so I think I think we're definitely seeing it more in terms of the larger real estate businesses that there's definitely a, a lot more scrutiny around making sure that they, you know, they are complying around those um, that ESG angle and both from a I guess a regulatory perspective in terms of what may come down the track and, and and being held to account in terms of by shareholders or investors, I think that's definitely an angle. I think there's a state sustainability angle around repurposing of buildings. So we want to make sure that we come out of this with utilizing the buildings that we've got in the best way that we can do it rather than potentially demolishing and, re- and rebuilding. Uh, I mean, that in some cases that might be might be the right approach but it's it's also really interesting from my view in terms of i guess the the small to middle end of of property investors in in terms of really thinking about the green agenda and ensuring that both from a landlord's perspective that we're making sure that our our buildings are efficient as possible but also making sure that the tenants that that we've got in those buildings are are playing their part in that as well and and I think just to leave you with with a couple of stats around the the commercial opportunity of doing the right thing in that green agenda from a residential perspective it, it's pretty much proven that a and B rated buildings in terms of EPC will generate 10% more rent. So that's a really good angle in terms of, you know, making sure that if we do the right things, that there's also a commercial benefit from doing it. And if you look at the um, building research establishment environment assessment mythology, those buildings rated excellent or st- outstanding achieve a 14% bump in, in, in that income generation, but also have a much improved 80% pre-let in terms of buildings left vacant and completing. So so you're seeing, you're getting tenants into those buildings quicker, but you're also generating more, more income. And at the same time, you're going to be complying with the future regulatory obligations that if you don't do those things, at some stage, it's going to catch up with you and, and, and you're going to have to do it and potentially be in a position where you can't rent buildings for a period of time until you've actually taken those measures to sort it out. That's really interesting and lots of clear 
steers there on what to look for, perhaps if you're if you're doing your research in in the property sector, um, some hints and tips there. So John, James, Will, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you to our listeners and subscribers. And if you have any other ideas for our weekly podcast, or indeed for, for our monthly deep dive, do please let us know. With that, I wish you a very happy weekend. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.